You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Daily Premier League News and Views. This is Football Social Daily. The countdown is on. It might only be Monday, but all eyes are already transfixed on Friday and the start of the brand new Premier League season. Pre-season preparations are done and dusted and we'll look back on some of the big results over the weekend, including a first run out under Eric Ten Hag for Cristiano Ronaldo. Plus, the first silverware of the season has been wrapped up with Liverpool landing the first blow on Manchester City, beating them 3-1 to raise the community shield. Haaland missed a hatful, but Darwin was dead-eye in the battle of the two new big boys up front. But the Community Shield wasn't the only trophy won this weekend. England's Lionesses beat Germany in the final of the Women's Euros to lift their first ever major trophy. Just how significant is that moment for the future of the women's game? All of that to come on Football Social Daily, your award-winning Premier League podcast from Sports Social. Not long now and we'll be back to seven days a week, so hit subscribe and you won't miss it. And hit follow too on our new Twitter account, it's at FSDpod. My name's Niall and Jim's off getting a tan and eating some gyros in Greece. So your Monday crew today is myself, Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Morning, fellas. Morning, guys. Is that where Jim's gone, is he? I think Corfu, is it, Joel? Yeah, you Corfu. Said? He's, he's oh, gone yeah. to the raves, I think, but he just wanted to keep it on the low. I mean, he loves a bit of souvlaki. Caves and raves. That's he's been what, talking uh, about souvlaki. That's what he's going for. It's like the motto for the trip. Yeah. <laughs> he's been talking about souvlaki for the last three weeks. Every time I'm in the office with him, he's like, oh, I had this really good souvlaki the other day. So he's in the home of the land of souvlaki, Jim. It's not over quite in pastry Greece. chat, is it? It's not quite pastry chat, but this morning it got to about 10 minutes before we usually record the podcast. And I was thinking, I normally get in after Marley gets into the office. Where is he? And then the minutes were ticking by and I thought, he's not coming into the office. What are we going to do? We're going to be a man down on the podcast. And then he <laughs> struts into the signing. office. Yeah, struts into the office. What has he got in his hand? A bag which has got Greg's written on it. Of course, <laughs> he was in the queue at Greg's. That's what was taking so long. No, I'd love to say I was in the queue at Greg's. I would queue for Greg's and I will queue for Greg's until until I get what I want. But uh, it was the trains this morning. The bloody trains getting, uh, getting me delayed. And then, but funnily enough, when when they got delayed, um, that killed off the queue at Greg's. So when I walked into Greg's, I was in there for a minute and a half tops. Like I walked in, <laughs> walked out, got my stuff, and I was like, this is a minute. I don't know whether I'm disappointed at the fact that you didn't queue for Greg's or pleased for you for the fact that it took only a couple of minutes <laughs> to hey, get your bacon butter. They know I'm coming. They, they clear the way. All the builders, <laughs> just they know the place. Get out. We do joke about um, our Monday pastry chat, but we actually think we're going to try and make this a serious thing throughout the season on Football Social Daily. We're going to ask you guys that listen to the podcast to get involved. Send us a tweet or a message on any of our social medias. In fact, the best place to go is to our new Twitter page, at FSD Pod. So give that a follow. And send us your pastry 
pastries from the weekend because we want to know what pies, sausage rolls and all other baked goods you've been tucking into at your football matches or wherever you might have been over the weekend. So let's make it a bit of fun. Get in touch with us. See if you can top Marley's pastry consumption over the course of a 48 hour period. So get in touch with us and uh, we'll feature some of them on the podcast as well. Some of the best ones and we'll pop them up on our Twitter page as well. So make sure you do that. But the first thing we're going to do today is talk about the first piece of silverware that was won of this season, 22-23. We haven't played the first Premier League game of the campaign yet. That's Arsenal against Crystal Palace on Friday night. But Liverpool played Manchester City, last season's league title winners versus last season's FA Cup winners in that traditional season opener. This time it was played at King Power Stadium because, of course, the Women's Euros was on at Wembley. We'll get onto that game very shortly. But first, the Community Shield where Liverpool win 3-1 and as I say, Joel, the first blow of the season, we thought that this campaign, as the last few have been, might be a close run thing between Manchester City and Liverpool. Those are the two standout contenders for the title right now before the season begins. And psychologically, a big boost for Liverpool to win that first piece of silverware at the expense of Man City. Yeah, I think it's one of those tro- well, trophy shields where when the team wins it, it's important. And for the team who doesn't win it, it's just a pre-season game to get the fitness up. But Prior to the game, I thought that, and I made some pretty big comments on Liverpool, I thought they were going to be way, way weaker in terms of losing Sadio Mane, which I thought was going to be massive. It might still be, because don't get me wrong, this game doesn't tell too much going into the new season because City, I think, have only had like one and a half pre-season games, obviously because their buying game got called off due to some crazy weather in the state. So I think that, obviously, Liverpool go into the game a little bit more fitter, a little bit more game match fitness whereas City are still not only are they trying to get match fit but they're trying to adapt to a totally new way of playing at the moment which is having a focal point which before was completely not a part of the plan and now they've got this big giant six foot five forward who is on a completely different wavelength at the moment to what the rest of the team are actually looking for it was so telling yesterday in terms of how the players were looking for passes, the where Haaland was going. He still had his Dortmund head on in terms of, you know, waiting for a, a pass from Jude Bellingham to go straight through and start running in behind. Whereas the City players like to keep it moving, like to keep it very risk averse. And it was really telling yesterday. But I think Liverpool will be massively happy in terms of a big psychological barrier burst going into the new season. But I wouldn't take too much from it. Just because as we saw last year, City lost on the first day to Tottenham and everyone was thinking, oh, it's going to be a, a Liverpool kind of title easily going into the new season. But yeah. as we've seen with City, they're a team who grow into it very slowly. They need to kind of get the oil going in the machine and start betting in the new signing so they can see, you know, how Guardiola wants to play. And it, it'll come it'll come along for them. But I think it's going to be a really slow start for both City and but mainly for Haaland. Yeah, I mean, we were discussing it, as you say, in the office just before we started recording the podcast. And Man City have this knack under Pep Guardiola of just chaining wins together. They'll win 10, 15, sometimes even more in a row. And even if they lose the first couple of games of the season, which has happened on more than one occasion, I seem to remember. You're right in pointing out they lost to Spurs the first game of last season. But City are such a good side, aren't they? So you can't expect them to be too far behind, even if they do. Um, start the season sluggishly I think was it a couple of years ago or even last season they were 10th at Christmas or something they came flying through didn't they and ended up um, really really coming up um, strong towards the back end of the season Uh, you mentioned Haaland and everyone was keen to see exactly how he did Marley and he had his chances and Erling Haaland normally gobbles up these sorts of chances Um, one forcing the goalkeeper into a good save and another sort of launched himself at a cross that came across the penalty area and he ended up skying it over the bar. You know, chances, but he couldn't finish them. But that surely shouldn't be too much of a concern. Yeah, I think um, I think what Joel said was was about right. Like, the way City play is very, like, their build-up is very slow at times. And I think Haaland is, is used to a slightly different style of play. So it, it will take a little bit of getting used to, but... You could tell, like, you know, when when you were watching him, when City's midfield get it, he was, like, on the shoulder of the defender, ready to go. And the ball just doesn't doesn't work like that at City. Like, it, you know, it's it's much more measured and much more um, sort of ticky-tacker style approach to things, and they'll get it out wide and they'll, they'll pass it left to right and, and, and wait for 
a very clear opening. But so I thought he struggled to be fair, and then I think his his um, sort of eagerness to to sort of get off to a good start ruined his chances. Like when he dived for that cross with um, I think the cross came in and he went for it with his left foot. And it's like he should have either went for it with his right foot or his head, like dive forward and head it in. Sure. But he went for it with like with the outside of his left foot and didn't get the right contact on it. Um, and then by the time ninety minutes walk comes around and he hits that one, that open goal, and he's he's that sort of he did really well to react to it. Showed he's a proper striker by reacting. Like the way he spun so quick was was like a proper striker thing to do. But yeah. Th- then I he mean, got so excited, he smashed it too hardy at the bar. Yeah, I mean, as well, the chance where the keeper saved it, um, the ball came to him and he just used his body to almost shrug Robertson off the ball. I don't yeah. know if you remember that chance with his left foot and then the, I think Adrian was in goal, wasn't he? And he, he saved it away. Or I can't remember who was in goal actually now, but yeah, it was just, just the yeah. strength of Haaland and just, he just almost threw Robertson to the ground and then the ball got saved and Robertson popped straight back up again as if to say, okay, the move's not dead. But it was almost like Robertson at that point was like, oh no, yeah, he's thragged me. He's completely ragged me and thrown me off and, and this, this is going to be a goal here. It wasn't in the end. But yeah. um, I don't think there should be too many concerns about you know, whether he'll find the back of the net. I think when you're as good as Haaland is, you are going to score goals, aren't you? It's as simple as that. Is there yeah. a, a, an argument, Marley, for maybe him just trying a bit too hard, desperate to score, desperate to impress, first proper game in English football? Yeah, I think so. And, and I mean, I was watching it in the, in the pub with a few mates and I said, like, it was clear, like, Van Dijk was sticking to him like glue and it was like, he was Van Dijk's man. And I felt, I said to a couple of my mates, like, look, he's playing... He's making his debut for a new club in um, in a game you know, with new surroundings, all the rest of it, and he's being marked by one of the best centre backs we've ever seen in the league. Like it, you can say, Van Dijk's not the not the best. It might be John Terry or Rio Fernando, whoever. But right now, I don't think there's anyone better in in the country than Van Dijk. So making your debut against him is is tough. Um, mm. And as soon as he pulled himself onto Matip, that was when he got the chances which was, funnily enough, he was the one who he spun off for that little, uh, the one where he hit the bar where he should have obviously scored into the empty net. But it was the difference between that. And you've got to remember that, you know, when he plays against 19, um, well, 18 other Premier League teams, they don't have Virgil van Dijk at the back. They have, you know, Craig Dawson and, <laughs> you know, um, Fulham got bloody Tosin, Adarabaya or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, he's probably going to ruin him. Like, he's probably going to score plenty of goals and one so, of uh, 15 new Nottingham Forest signings yeah, <laughs> whoever yeah. they might be because they <laughs> yeah. signed some players haven't they this summer um, one player who was also on debut who did find the back of the net was Julian Alvarez and you know to score on your debut is exactly what you want isn't it so I think in in terms of Manchester City being concerned about Haaland not finding the net at least Julian Alvarez managed to put one away uh, yeah. at that point I think it made it 1-1 didn't it but then Liverpool went on to to really stretch ahead and it was another debutant Darwin Nunez who managed to get the winner for Liverpool on his debut and that's exactly what you want for a striker Joel isn't it you want them to come into the team score straight away because it gets that monkey off the back and immediately they're into the groove and he had a big monkey on his back during pre-season which when we look at it on face value it's actually quite ridiculous how much stick he was getting for pre-season with a new team on the back of a massive transfer fee in a new country. Like, this is the way football's going now, where every single kick you do is graded. Whereas before, pre-season was just pre-season. It's a, it's a chance for your new player to get to grips with your new environment, your new teammates, your new manager, your new system, etc., etc. Now, every kick is going to be put into a montage video with some backing music, like some tight, you know, Benny the Titanic whistle that's bad. <laughs> <Titanic>. <laughs> you know, the really bad Titanic out of tune whistle when he like goes through a goal. Yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna get that inevitably. This is the way football is now. It's become like every kick is watched. Doesn't matter what what you do, and like, you got a lot of stick in preseason. I was one of them who gave him stick. I'm a United fan, so I'm entitled to. But I don't know where all these other fans are coming from trying to give him stick. Um, but I think for him just because it's a big occasion, their big rival in the league at the moment, going toe-to-toe with them for so many years, um, to mark your first official goal on that occasion will do so much for his Mm. confidence because even Klopp was starting to say after a few of those games, you know, it's going to take time for him because 
the players need to adapt to the way he's playing and he needs to adapt to us. So it felt like Klopp was acknowledging the the, the, the basis that it's going to take him time. Yeah. Now, I think that's going to transform him a little bit because regardless of his finishing, which in preseason was suspect, he, he, what's so impressive about him is his positioning. Yeah, he gets he he gets in the right positions every single time. Well, I mean, it was a header, and he had to stoop down, but it was only four or five yards out. And he was... found himself in within acres of space of absolutely everyone, and that's mm. what you need. That's what Liverpool need because the amount of crosses they put in, and this is the difference between Liverpool and City. Trent Alexander Arnold and Robertson probably put in a good what five crosses each per game. Yeah, Cancelo and Walker. I don't really know how many they put in, but it's very, very few. They need to do that more. Now, now they've got, got Haaland in the middle. You need to like. You got to give him something to yeah, feed. Yeah, he's off. in yeah. the box waiting for it. You could see it in the game. He was literally looking at them, saying, "I'm here. Pass it to me. I'll put the ball in the net." But City like to do one extra pass. They like to walk it in the goal, and yeah. this is why it's going to take them more time than Liverpool. I think. In fairness to City, I think we said that with the way things have changed and Sterling's gone and. You know, Jack Grealish, it's his second season. Haaland's come in. Calvin Phillips has come in. There has been a fair bit of change around Manchester City. And will that change Pep's style? Will they need to learn to play a different way? And will that impact their results this season? I think there's so many question marks. It's It does feel fresh and new around Manchester City, which I thought might impact things. But I didn't think that, you know, at this stage, after just one preseason game, effectively, we'd be sitting here saying, well, we're not sure about City at the moment. I just don't think you can ever write them off, to be honest. But from that one game... If you were to make a choice of who's scoring more goals, Nunez or Erling Haaland? Still Haaland. Still? It's still Haaland. Just because, again, like he finds himself in the right positions. If he has a game against Bournemouth at home, you can I would bet my house on him scoring at least three or four just because he's an unreal finisher. Yeah. But it's just the case of understanding because Pep Guardiola, the last time he had a real proper number nine... Aside from Lewandowski, because I see him more as like the most technical number nine I've ever seen in terms of his the way he has the ball. I'd say it's Ibrahimovic. And yeah. the way that ended was pretty bitter. If anyone's ever read his biography recently, <laughs> yeah. he didn't have the most kindest words to say yeah. about Guardiola. He's very much a Mourinho over Guardiola. Oh, yeah, yeah he, he loves Mourinho. Yeah. Um, Guardiola's always played with very nimble number nines. David Villa was a very nimble number nine. Samuel Eto a nimble number nine. Haaland's a big, lanky, gangly number <laughs> nine who, you know, gets his body in the way. He doesn't. He's not the greatest dribbler. He's just an absolute killer finisher. So that's why I'm interested to see how it all works and pans out. He will score a lot, mm. but I'm just interested to see how City play. This well, is the big difference. Man City, their season opener's on Sunday, the 7th of August, uh, away at West Ham, 4.30 kickoff. Liverpool, Fulham away, half 12 on Saturday. So... You know, I think that if you were hedging your bets, who's going to get under the first Premier League goal under their belt first? I think when you look at the op- opponents, the oppositions, um, I think maybe I might just plump for Nunez. I was going to say, they're the two, they're the two centre-backs I just mentioned, weren't it? Greg Dawson and Tosin. <laughs> I didn't even... I, I wish I was that insightful and uh, like I meant to do that. I was just the first two at the bottom to me, but we'll see the weekend, won't we? But yeah, yeah. Uh, Loads of goals from the pair of them, to be fair. Yeah, looking Especially forward. if these VAR things start get given. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they both do. Liverpool won the Community Shield. They beat Man City 3-1. First silverware of the season wrapped up, but there were some other trophies won over the course of the weekend. There was medals in the Commonwealth Games, but the one big one that took place last night was at Wembley, the Women's Euro Final. England against Germany, and the Lionesses brought it home. We'll be talking about that next after this. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your sport... Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sports Social. And we are very nearly at the beginning of the new top flight campaign. 22-23 is upon us. Friday night, it all begins. Crystal Palace against Arsenal. And from Monday next week, so in a week's time, we'll be back to daily top flight podcasts. We are the only show that will do that for you. So if you hit subscribe, that way you'll stay right in the loop with everything to do with the Premier League right throughout the season. We'll take you all the way up to the World Cup and probably through that as well when it takes place in Qatar in November so you don't want to miss it so make sure you hit subscribe and you'll be kept up to date with everything but the one story really that isn't Premier League focused but we should definitely talk about is what happened yesterday at Wembley. England against Germany on the international stage is always a massive game but it's not often we see it in women's football take such uh, a centre stage and that's exactly what happened because the Lionesses were in the final of the Women's Euros. England's women ended up beating Germany by two goals to one. A dramatic finish to the game in extra time where Manchester City's Chloe Kelly scored after Ella Toon had put England in the lead. She's a Manchester United player. So the blue and the red half of Manchester combining to help England bring the trophy home. Massive moment in front of 87,000 people at Wembley, Joel. We mentioned this last week on the podcast. How big a moment is this for the women's game? I think you always need a kind of momentous moment in a sport which needs a little bit of a push because I think the last time an England team won a major trophy, obviously in 1966, women weren't even allowed to play football, which mm. is quite crazy considering now you've got uh, 87,000 people at, England, um, at England's biggest stadium in the country, nearly a sellout for a game which... You know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, you wouldn't even have seen the likes of it. You might not have seen it publicised. So I think sometimes I, I do believe that this occasion especially will have such a ripple effect going forward. Just because I know for a fact I've got a younger sister as well. And even though she hates football, she 100% took a little bit of notice of it. And for mm. me, that just kind of shows how... Imagine the girls, like the younger girls who have watched that and just thought it actually is possible now. Mm. Like before, maybe, you know, when we were all in high school, the girls who we were alongside probably thought, you know, football isn't a game for us. Yeah, it's well, I a, mean, girls weren't allowed to play football in PE when I was at school. And was that like wasn't a bit of a t- taboo, wasn't it? It was, it was strange. And when I look yeah. back, I kind of think, what the hell was that even about? It doesn't make sense, does it? Does, it? it doesn't. And this is why I think these moments, need you need it to change everyone's mindset about it. I've, now the girls and the guys growing up are going to see that actually girls are as much allowed to play sports as the guys That's are. That's a crazy word to use, isn't it? Allowed. Yeah, like, yeah, of course they're right. allowed to play football. And they always have been, but it's just been such a stigma around girls yeah. and sports that sometimes you, you do need these occasions to kind of show everyone, actually, the women's sport is growing to a considerable length. I mean, look at the USA women. They're bigger than the men's sport over there. I know it's a different level, but they've had a lot more time to develop. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe the women's sport will get to a level where they win so much international trophies yeah. that they're going to be more successful than the men. And I think as well with the American women's team, I think they won their first World Cup in 1999 and that was their launching pad. That was their springboard to go on and be successful. And I think they've won the last few World Cups or at least they've certainly been in contention and you know, when you think to what happened yesterday, Marley, 87,000 in at Wembley, I think 17 million watched it on TV and another 6 million online, which makes it not only the most watched women's football match ever, yeah. but the most watched TV show in the UK in 2022. So the numbers are absolutely incredible. It shows there's an appetite for it. And I mentioned the word launching pad. I suppose that's what we're hoping for after what happened yesterday. Yeah, they got it in just before the Love Island final, didn't they? <laughs> the the, uh, the record figures. Um, no, it was a it was a hell of an occasion. Um, you know, it's it's one of them where it doesn't feel like it, it feels big at the time, but it's not it's not going to feel as big as it will be as it ever was. You know what I mean? Like you never get a sense of how important that moment is because I, I was talking to this. This is an ex uh, an example of how many people like it attracts like my sister texted me about um about the the game last night 
My sister doesn't look, talk about football ever. Like, ever. It's like, she's 39, I'm 31. So, like, eight years between us. But growing up together, we were never, never talked about football. She never liked it. She still doesn't like it, but she likes the fact that it was the women. And, you know, she got, she tuned in like 25 million others did. And she texted me saying, like, um, you know, this is, this is like such a big moment for like everyone because she's got a three-year-old daughter mm. and my my niece, um, and like if if that was twenty what if that was twenty-eight years ago and I was a three-year-old, like as a, if I was a, a man and watched the men win the win a final, it would have been huge. Like watching Newcastle on a weekend was huge for me because that's why I wanted to be a footballer because mm. I wanted to see a, I wanted to be like Alan Shearer and Rob Lee and you know, all these. Uh, amazing players that we had um but women have never really had that until now like yeah. you need to see people doing things to inspire the next generation like it's like the tip of the iceberg you see the success and then you you don't see it for the next sort of 10 years um in terms of what that does like that impacts people so like kids will be going to school yeah. like uh, kids aren't in school at the minute aren't they but um, in September when they go back, you know, with the girls' football, yeah. there'll be loads playing football. They'll yeah. want to be like Ella too. They'll, and... they'll all be playing football this afternoon. It's beautifully sunny out here in Manchester this yeah. afternoon, right? And the, you know, so, exactly yeah. summer holidays. They'll all be trying to replicate Ella Toon's chip. And you know, I mean, I thought that was poignant because Manchester United's women's team was only founded four years ago. It's only four years old. United's women's team. Yeah, and you've got a twenty. 23 year old lass from Tildesley or Wigan or Lee or wherever she's from um, wearing a bucket hat after the full time whistle <laughs> shouting down the microphone and buzzing me head off you know <laughs> some of the most Mancunian things I've ever seen and it's relatable and I think that that's what we've seen Marley don't you think we've seen yeah. relatable characters yeah, in, seen, in this team seen role models for the next generation because you know she's from a, a quiet little town in Wigan isn't she Tildesley and mm. there was um you know there'll be there'll be kids going who went to a school who are trying to play now and you know they'll like you say they'll be in the parks with the friends at the weekends and and during the school holidays and stuff like that and you know in fifteen years time you know they'll be you know pushing if we keep this system in the women's game you know with academies getting funding yeah. and and catchment areas getting proper seed like uh, seed money to start up and stuff um, it'll be. It'll be, you know, great for the future. I mean, I was saying to my, my wife last night, like, 1966, we won the World Cup um, with the men. And then 1990, we were mint, weren't we? Like, we should have won yeah. Italia 90. Yeah, that's, with Gascoigne that's, and the like, yeah. It's 25 years later. Mm. So they they probably were inspired by that all-conquering 60s team and 70s team. You know, players like Trevor Steven, who we have on the podcast coming yeah. through. Paul Gascoigne probably watched Trevor Stephen and think that he's amazing. You know, I want to be, I want to be like him, or it, it'll be someone else. It'll be whoever it is. But you've got to have role models, and once now, the young sort of um, under ten, under fifteen girls now have role models because they've mm. won the European Championships, and it's it's a, a huge thing for the game. You need you need success I, to 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 breed success. I was just thinking then, you know, when you mentioned about why you wanted to become a footballer, Alan Shearer and yeah. that kind of thing, I was just thinking then, did you both watch Bend It Like Beckham? Yeah, yeah. The movie. I've seen it, And yeah. you know what's yeah. quite ironic and quite poetic as well is that the premise of that movie is about a young Asian girl who wants to become a footballer, but her parents wanted to go down a traditional route. Mm. And I actually remember watching that when I was about five years old and it actually really inspired me because David Beckham comes in at the end and kind of watches them and encourages them. But the movie is based around women becoming footballers. Mm. And it's quite cool how that was, I think that released in 2002. And now, what, 20 years later, it's actually become apparent it's actually yeah. become true which is quite cool it's the yeah, way it's, it come full circle but i mean it's, like that, it, that's one of the movies it sort of goes viral every now and again for you know the, the bad um acting which every, every sports it, movie has terrible <laughs> acting i mean the goalkeepers yeah. in films what are they doing but that was that was a pioneering thing like you know people will people will you know react to what they see that's why sport's important for yeah 
for that's why it should be on terrestrial TV as much as possible yeah. because you need to maximize what it is more what than you sport, can see. Of course, it is. You're inspiring new generations, and when we think about what we want to happen next, we want this tournament and this result, this victory for England's women to inspire the next generation, but also be a platform for future footballers and hopefully more people and I'm sure there will be more people turn up to their local women's team to watch matches buy season tickets enjoy it get involved in the atmosphere you know whether it's a WSL club and you support one of the the big hitters like Manchester United or City or Liverpool or whoever you support um, Chelsea Arsenal whatever it may be in whichever city you live in it maybe it might be your local women's team maybe you can even go and play for your local women's team you know that that's the sort of thing we want to see good day for forward. Manchester as well with a United yeah. player and a City player scoring in the final it uh, does even yeah. more for for local areas and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Well, if you were at Wembley yesterday amongst the 87,000, I hope you enjoyed it. Congratulations to the Lionesses, the first ever major trophy for England's women's team and the first major trophy for an England national side since the men won the World Cup in 1966. Amazing stuff. Well done to the Lionesses. Right, next up, we're going to be talking about pre-season because the final pre-season fixtures ahead of the Premier League campaign kicking off were played over the course of the weekend. Cristiano Ronaldo was involved for United in their game yesterday. Gabriel Jesus was lighting things up for Arsenal. We'll discuss all next after this on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Final part of today's Football Social Daily. I've got Joel and Marley alongside me, Niall, and Cristiano Ronaldo was on everybody's lips yesterday because he actually got his first preseason minutes, a 45-minute run out under Eric Ten Hag at Old Trafford yesterday. United played Rio Vallecano, the Spanish side, in their final preseason game. Does that tell us anything at all, Joel? You're the Manchester United fan among us. Lots of rumours about Cristiano's future, whether he'll stay at the club. United say he's not for sale. Ronaldo's camp allegedly pushing for a move, of into the press but he turned up he started he played 45 minutes it's his first minutes before the season begins what did you make of it all well you were you were there what was his uh, reception like massive in terms of huge just good yeah 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 this fickle as hell I don't agree with booing but if that was well there was a lot of super it sounded yeah, like booing I don't think it was actually soon. booing but um if that was any other player they would have got absolutely hounded if they came back to Old Trafford this is why he, 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 this is what he should be know, doing. Bebe got quite a good reception for Raya Vallecano. <laughs> I am Falcao as well. Falcao as well. He's my, he's my, I love Falcao. Um, yeah, he's, he's, well, he's contracted to do that. That's how he should have been. He should have been at United playing regardless. Um, the good thing is that he is back and hope, I do hope he stays because we have got zero goals in that squad at the moment. Um, the only issue is that he's not played under Ten Hag. You could see there was a video where they were like kind of not having a disagreement, but they were both a little bit on chalk and cheese in terms of what he wanted him to do, um, which is normal in a football game. But I just think because he's not match fit, because he's not been part of the preseason and the preparations, he's going to be like two weeks behind. And that's going to be, probably stand him in bad stead because Anthony Martial, I don't believe he should be dropped for anyone at the moment. He mm. looks like a different animal um, in preseason in terms of actually pressing and showing a bit of energy. The way in which this turns out, honestly, when a player is unhappy 
especially someone like Ronaldo, who sometimes feels like he's bigger than the club. He's not, but sometimes they have that that brand around them which feels so big that when they're unhappy, they have to get their own way mm-hmm. because it will bring the worst press and the worst feel around the club. And it's the worst thing Ten Hag can have. Yeah. He's just coming to the his biggest job of his career. And when you have a player like Cristiano Ronaldo, which was... It, it kind of reminds me of remember when Moyes came in and Rooney was the person who he had to deal with because he just asked to leave the summer prior, uh, six months prior actually, and he had to deal with that straight away so they gave him a new contract. This feels very similar but on a different level because it's Ronaldo, he's a global superstar. Mm. Um, for me, if he wants to leave, then I believe that they should give him a route out but there's no one who wants him. So then he has to, and he's professional as well, so I don't believe he's going to start, you know, throwing tantrums during the season. But this is the this is the situation he finds himself in. He's no longer the desired player that he was maybe three, four, five years ago. And that's the thing that he's going to have to get used to. Whether Ten Hag kind of makes, not an example of him, but shows who is the real person who's leading by leaving him on the bench. Mm. I'm very interested to see that. If Ten Hag actually feels as though he has the capability to put him on the bench, I'm, I I believe he will. Well, and I don't yeah. think he's scared to do that. And I think he's perfectly entitled to do that. Well, United had two pre-season games over the weekend. They were in Norway to play Atletico Madrid and then they flew back to Manchester to play Rio Vallecano, who are also from Madrid, um, in those two games. And the plan, I think, from Eric Ten Hag was to get everyone some minutes across the two games. So try and get as many minutes as possible. Mm-hmm. Ronaldo only played 45. I can tell you, talking about getting cheers and what reception Ronaldo got, the biggest cheer of the day for was when Eric Ten Hag actually walked out of the tunnel. Should, yeah. The reception was huge for him. Um, but, you know, only 45 minutes, Marley. But Cristiano Ronaldo, you imagine, would have been kept him, keeping himself in very decent shape. As Joel says, he didn't go on the preseason tour where United travelled to Thailand and Australia and then to Norway and then back to Manchester. He didn't do any of that stuff. But he was at Old Trafford yesterday. And you think, even though it was only 45 minutes... A player of Ronaldo's professionalism, you'd imagine, would have been keeping himself in very good shape. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you don't need to worry about his him keeping himself in shape. You know, he's he's probably, well, in my opinion, he's the hardest working footballer probably of all time. I don't, I don't think anyone's ever worked as as hard as what he has to to get to the top and then to stay at the top. Um, I think his his idea of like a a fun night off is only doing like a thousand crunches before he goes to bed rather than 10,000. So it's not like he's going to lose shape. You know, he's been posting his workout pictures and stuff on, on Instagram and he still looks, he's got muscles in places that didn't even know existed on a human body, but <laughs> he, um, he, he's not going to lose too much fitness. He might, he might, there's a bit of sharpness, but you know, that, that'll soon come back. Um, if, if he plays for Man United in, in the first few games, you know, you'll still find the net. He'll still, Getting the positions, it's just whether he he stays or not. So we we'll have to have to wait and see what happens. But you know you haven't got to haven't got to worry about him coming back at like thirteen and a half stone full of pasties. So <laughs> yeah, I mean some players came back for preseason. I seem to remember Rooney would come back and <laughs> he looked like he'd had a good summer. He had a good holiday. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure Cristiano Ronaldo is quite the same um, in that respect. But he did play 45 minutes yesterday for Manchester United. Under contract to Old Trafford, still a United player. I'm sure there's always going to be lots of rumours whenever Cristiano Ronaldo is involved. But at the moment, he did play yesterday and uh, it looks like he might well be involved in a week's time for Brighton and Hove Albion, which is United's first game of the season. Um, less time for Arsenal to prepare, though, for their opening game of the campaign. It's against Crystal Palace away, but Gabriel Jesus looks up for it and ready from the get-go. He scored a hat-trick for Arsenal in their pre-season game against Sevilla at the weekend. The fans absolutely love him already, Marley. I mean, a hat-trick for Arsenal is always going to um, endear you to the fans. They won 6-0 against Sevilla in pre-season. Do you think he's going to be the main man for Arsenal this season? Do you think they'll look to him for all of their goals? It looks like it. Um, I feel a bit Freddie and Ketia probably thinking, I'm going to have a decent chance this season. And then signing a new deal, and then uh, Jesus comes in and scores. <laughs> I think well, I think he's got—is it six or seven in preseason now? So well, he certainly started well at my Arsenal, God. hasn't he? Yeah. yeah, he's he's flying. So I think it, like we said when when it was being rumoured, this the move seems like 
seems to make sense. Like Arsenal need a striker. He needs to be mobile and fluid and, and decent with in sort of all parts of his game. And and Jesus is like that's it's not really a surprise to see him, you know, go to a uh, go to a club managed by a man he's worked for before and mm. then settle straight in. Like he's probably is it probably in like the most picked fantasy football team player outside of Haaland. Oh, in, see, in I the don't thing. have him like, in my team. Am I missing a trick here? Do maybe, I need to get him in? Maybe, uh, maybe you should think about it, yeah. But he's uh, he's flying, isn't he? Like, I mean, Arsenal as well. Like, I think he scored four goals in 10 minutes against Sevilla from between t- mi- uh, minute 10 and minute 20. They, they rattled in four goals and the game was done. So they went on to score six. And uh, as we know, Sevilla are... Um, top four regular in, in Spain you know sometimes I think last year they were challenging for the title um, when Barcelona slipped off but you know they're, they're, they're no mugs and Arsenal have, have torn them apart so fair play to them they're going to be uh, yeah. they're going to be full of confidence going into this new season and it just gives another another little angle to that top four top six uh, scrap yeah, I mean, well, the difference between Arsenal and probably getting in the top four and not last season, Joel, was their record against the other big clubs. It seems like whenever they came up against another big hitter in the Premier League, another top six side, they came unstuck. And they were patchy at times. They'd, they'd go ages unbeaten. And then as soon as they'd lose one, they'd lose three in a row. And that kind of did for them when it came to the top four chances. With this preseason period that they've had, the fans have certainly enjoyed what they've seen so far. They've enjoyed what they've seen from Jesus. Do you think Arsenal fans can be more optimistic about what the season lies in store for them? More optimistic, yeah, because the recruitment, I mean, you can't really argue about the recruitment this season. I think they spent nearly, is it the most? Last season they spent the most. So it's encouraging because their club is actually starting to invest again. They just signed players called Gabriel. That's all they're interested in. Yeah, as long as as (laughs) as they're 30 million plus, then it's fine. But this is what Arsenal fans have wanted, which is investment in the club and they're getting it now. And that's why there is room to be happy about what's going on because previously, you know, they used to spend like maximum 30 million net. And that was after like the outgoings of all the best players to all of the rivals. Now it's not happening anymore. You know, that in maybe in a different world, Saka might have gone to City or I don't know who else, but all the best players and the best assets would have moved on quickly. Now they're starting to create a really good young base, which is exciting. But I do feel as though Arsenal fans are getting ahead of themselves quickly purely based off pre-season. I mean, I've seen comments like Saliba's like a £70 million centre-back signing and, you know, just calm yourselves and let's just see how the season goes because on the first day last season, I know they had a few COVID issues, but they got humbled very, very quickly. And that can happen in football quite quickly, especially in the Premier League, where you feel like you're conquering the world in pre-season, everything's going your way and suddenly... You know, Nottingham Forest are more up for it than you are on the opening day, and then suddenly, you know, your world turns upside down again. So I hope Forest aren't up for it on the first day because they've got us. That'll be an interesting. Palace on Friday, isn't it, for us. Palace, like, Palace away, Palace yeah. away Friday yeah. night. Selhurst Park. Yeah, well, I mean, fans will be up for it. Palace are no suckers. Patrick yeah. Vieira's got a great, great side. And Arsenal him. have to start better than they did last season because last season they had a Friday night game the opening game Brentford, of the Premier League Brentford season away, yeah. at Brentford away and they got beat comfortably in the end. Yeah. I think they lost 2-0 and the atmosphere was was massive in that in that new Brentford stadium and they lost three in a row, went into the first international break in September and they were bottom of the league, minus nine goal difference and everyone was saying Arteta's got to go and yeah. then in the end, you know, he kind of pulled some results together but it can't be worse than last season. One change that Arteta has made though, uh, Marley, is that he's made Martin Erdegaard the new captain. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's um, it's it, on the face of it, it sort of looks a bit like, oh, oh, he's he's a young captain. But when you look at Arsenal's side, I think it makes makes the most sense. I think if you look at the the characters they've got in there, they're all you know age wise, they're all under twenty six. Probably the only one who's knocking on the door of thirty or around that age is is Granite Xhaka. But everyone would probably also agree that Xhaka's the one one player in that team who they still need to replace because he's, he's proved he's not quite good enough um, in the five years he's been there or something. He's never looked like amazing, has he? So if you look at that, you're thinking who's who's got the best character and who's going to play every game to be their captain? And, you know, Ben White's only just arrived. Gabriel's only just arrived. 
Kieran Tierney's always injured. Um, Tommy Asu's only just came. Um, Thomas Partey's got other things going on. He might, ne- might, never, even, might never even see him again. Um, Odegaard is has been old for like beyond his years sort of thing. Like he's been around since like sixteen when he got that move to Real yeah, Madrid. I remember when he was like, a fifteen year old wonder kid at yeah, Real Madrid. He's got mad experience for a guy who's is he twenty four, twenty five, something like that. He's you know he's, he's been around. He's um, a big name. He's obviously a decent character in the dressing room, um, and he's the most sensible. I think if you give it to someone like Saka. It's a lot of pressure to then put on a guy who's still developing, but Odegaard is much more. He's also the Norway captain. Yeah, he's yeah, he's been been around. He's he's got he's just got more way more experience for a guy who is twenty four. Like he's probably got a thirty year old experience in terms of football, despite being twenty four, twenty five, whatever he is. So yeah, yeah, I think it's it's fair enough. And if and he performed last season as well. It wasn't like he was yeah. kind of just on the fringes or inconsistent. He was a, a real key player in that Arsenal team. Yeah, he's, he's finding his home, isn't he? He's, he seems comfortable. He seems uh, like a key player for the future as well. And, you know, he's not as outspoken as some of Arsenal's previous captains. So <laughs> as long as he doesn't have a fight with his own fans, like a few of them have in the past... Uh, was William Gallas ever Arsenal captain? Was that when yes. he refused, <laughs> refused to play or started he... threatening to score own goals and stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sat on the pitch, didn't he, when someone had a penalty? I remember that time. <laughs> well, actually, William Gallas is one of few players that have played for both Arsenal and Tottenham, and it is the other side of North London that we're going to jump to now. And Antonio Conte Spurs, who actually lost in their final pre-season game, two one to AS Roma, managed by Jose Mourinho, of course, and he got the upper hand. Uh, Paolo Dybala, the new Roma signing, was involved in the uh, Roma goals. Um, as for Spurs, they played a pretty strong side. They played um, Perisic, their new signing. They played Son. They played Kane. Um, pretty strong team, but they ended up losing out to Roma. Always hard to gauge when it's pre-season results, but Spurs are one of the sides that many people have tipped for success this season. Joel, are you in that camp? Do you think that we'll see a better, more rejuvenated Spurs this time around? Yeah, I do think they're going to be underdogs this season, especially going for the big titles. <clears throat> the only reason I say that is not because of Tottenham, because of Conte. Right. Um, I feel like if any other manager had this side outside of obviously the top ones, I wouldn't be as confident as I am with Tottenham. Uh, the the reason for that is, I mean, just look at his track record. The guy is an absolute winner everywhere he goes. Um, and I just think that front three of Kulazewski, Son and Kane is going to be absolutely devastating next season. Because let's not forget, last year, uh, Conte joined halfway through the season. Kane was still pretty annoyed about not getting his City switch. I think he scored like one in his first 10 games. He was just completely off it. As soon as Conte came in, the goal started flowing. The front three started flowing. Um, the recruitment has been absolutely amazing under Paratici at the moment. Yeah. Um, where Christian Romero, I think he's going to become a, a big, big player for them. We've not next seen season. that from Daniel Levy or Spurs, though, have we? This level of investment, because the last Shocking. time they had a team that was capable of challenging for silverware, we would argue was that Pochettino side that reached the Champions League final. But that summer, they didn't add anyone. They didn't strengthen at all. And Spurs fans I speak to always look back and they say, why? Why didn't we sign any players? Because we were in a position where we could have challenged for titles. They've managed to get into the top four last season. There were times during last season where Antonio Conte, I remember a game against Burnley where he even said, I don't know if I'm good enough to do this or I don't know if I want to do this, I might walk away. He ends up sticking it out. They get into the top four. So they have Champions League football and they've made investment this season. So are the expectations of Spurs fans now absolutely to win a trophy? There's no excuses this time. I think it should be, to be honest. And I think the only reason Conte stayed is, like you say, because he's been backed. If this didn't happen, they would have a different manager. <laughs> That's just the bottom mm-hmm. line. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Tottenham fans are thinking now, you know, that Pochettino side, it just needed to go that one level further and they might have, you know, created an absolute dynasty there because it was such a good team. But when you look at this one on paper, it is absolutely solid in every single area. I mean, Eric Dyer's become a new centre-back. Perisic is going to be so influential for them on that wing-back position purely because he can literally just put a ball in on his sixpence. But that front three is as good as any front three in the league, 100%. Um, Whether they can continue in terms of consistency, which has always been a problem for Tottenham, just in terms of, you know, I remember under Mourinho in his first season, I think they were top of the league after like November time and everyone was thinking, 
this could be the season. Yeah. And then suddenly, you know, everything falls apart. But the big thing for Tottenham fans, which they should be excited about, is that Conte is an amazing coach. He can coach players in the same way Pochettino coaches players and makes them better. And you'll see the likes of Romero, he'll go into a new level next season. Harry Kane, I wouldn't be surprised if he has one of his best scoring seasons next season alongside Son and Kulisevsky. I think he's, everyone's going to go a level up. Whether they can maintain that consistency to create a title challenge is you know, is, is a big, big step because Liverpool and City have been developing their teams for the last four or five years now. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see, but I do think they are massive dark horses next season. So today's the 1st of August. I've seen a few Premier League predictions, Marley, where Spurs have been placed in second, they've been placed in third. I've not seen anyone say that they're going to finish top yet, but <laughs> by the 1st of June, so 10 months from now, where do you think Spurs might be? Third, I would say. Okay. I think they're the best of the rest. I think that gap is is just a little bit too big. Um, I mean, it's hard what to know what to expect from Chelsea, really. With the players they've lost, I, new ownership, new signings. Arsenal again, you know, the sort of side where they could be incredible, but also they could finish seventh. I don't think it's inconceivable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. I don't think it's inconceivable to see Chelsea finish fifth. To be honest, having you know Arsenal. And Spurs as third and fourth, I, I can see that. And new as Manchester right United now, manager absolutely. as well, Ten Hag, yeah. new manager. Mm. So it's like it's, it's really hard. You say the best of the rest. We think Spurs and Liverpool will be up there, but I mean, yeah. of the rest, it's almost impossible to, to hedge a guess as to who's going to finish in those spots. Yeah. Uh, ask me again on Monday when Newcastle <laughs> have, uh, have slaughtered uh, Jesse Lingard's Nottingham Forest 4-1 and I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you. Okay, well, next Monday we will be back and we will be back to seven days a week. All summer we've been down to three days just while it's been pre-season and the transfers have been bubbling away, but it is back to business. It all kicks off on Friday. We'll be back with a podcast then and, of course, this upcoming Wednesday looking ahead to those opening fixtures of the campaign. It starts at Selhurst Park, Crystal Palace versus Arsenal and then from next week, new podcasts every single day of the Premier League season. This is Football Social Daily. This is the only podcast that will do that for you. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss them. Joel, Marley, great to speak to you. Thanks for listening to Football Social Daily. We'll catch you in a couple of days. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.